We're going to jump into the Bible now, and Charles is going to read us read it for us. Thank you, Charles. Hey, everyone. My name is Charles, and I'm a first-year engineer. Um, I'll be reading through Isaiah 7, as you see on the, the campus from the second page. You can read with me. Uh, Isaiah 7. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezan, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remalia, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Shear Jeshur, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. And say to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint, because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria, and the son of Remaliah. Because Syria and Ephraim and the son of Remaliah has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves. And set up the son of Tabeel as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord, It shall not stand, and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. And within sixty-five years, Ephraim will be shattered from, from a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God, let it be as deep as Sheol, or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord God to test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David. Is it too little for you to weary men, that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey, and when he knows to refuse the evil and choose the good. But before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose, twos, whose two kings you, you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. In that day the Lord will whistle for the fly that is at the end of the streams of Egypt and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria. And they will all come and settle in the steep ravines and in the clefts of the rocks and on the thorn bushes and on all the pastures. In that day the Lord will share you with a razor that is hired beyond the river with the king of Assyria, the head of the hair of the feet, the head and the hair of the feet, and it will sweep away the beard also. In that day a man will give will keep alive a young cow and two sheep, and because of the abundance of milk that they give, he will eat curds. For everyone who is left in the land will eat curds and honey. In that day every place where there used to be a thousand vines with a thousand shekels of silver will become briars and thorns. With bow and arrows a man will come there, for all the land will be briars and thorns. And as for all the hills that used to be hoed with a hoe, you will not come there for fear of briars and thorns, but they will become a place where cattle are let loose and where sheep tread. Good 
afternoon, everybody. Good to see you here back after the break. So relaxed. <laughs> well, perhaps in, in a crisis. What are you like in a crisis? What are you like in a crisis? Say you log into Souls and discover that there's an assignment due tomorrow that you had forgotten all about. What do you do? What do you do? Resign yourself to handing it in late? Or do you grab your classmates' assignment that they've offered to you to rework it into something that looks like it could be your own and hand it in, signing off on that signy bit that says, this is substantially my own work? Or how do you react when you're 20 and yet another good friend gets engaged and you're still very, very single? <laughs> uh, in fact, you've never had a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And you're getting to feel a bit over that. And you wonder whether perhaps the free and easy approach to dating that most of the world has pretty casual attitude is probably, well, it's actually been quite attractive. And you wonder whether your commitment to going out only with someone who follows Jesus is perhaps too restrictive and perhaps not really necessary. Or perhaps you're running late for something. You're running late for uni, you're running late for a meeting, you're running late for... Uh, for youth group, you're, and you need to speed to get there on time. It's a crisis. I know I'm not supposed to, but everyone else is around me, and in fact I'm holding up traffic. Perhaps I do need to speed to get there on time. What we see before us in God's Word today is actually that any apparent crisis of life is actually a crisis of faith. Any crisis of life is actually a crisis of faith. Every apparent crisis is really an opportunity to trust God or to not trust Him, to rebel against Him. And we see it today through the lens of this guy, this King Ahaz, King of Jerusalem in 734 BC, and he's faced with a national security crisis in the nation and he is, and we look at how he deals with it and how God deals with him and we see along the way how we should also deal when faced with <coughs> such crises well if you've not been with us we're actually in the book of Isaiah set back in the mid 700s BC and um, we'll see if we can get some action on this You'll see that there was a map on the screen which tells you where all the... Oh, there they are. There's the um, nation of Israel down right in the middle and the focus is in Isaiah is on this nation of Judah right down the bottom and Jerusalem in particular. In chapter 7, we come across three nations. There's, apart from Judah, there's Israel, there's Syria, or also called Aram, 
And another one, which way off the map, Assyria, a growing superpower to the north. And that growing superpower to the north is gathering momentum to basically take over the world at the time. The crisis that's occurring in Jerusalem at this stage is that Syria and Israel <coughs> are plotting together to overthrow Ahaz as the king in Jerusalem. Now, why would Israel, who used to be a part of the nation of Judah, they were all one nation at one stage, but now separate, why would they gather with Syria over and against Jerusalem? Well, the reason is uh, because they want to set up this king, their own king, Tabil, in Judah, overthrow Ahaz as king in Judah, Jerusalem, and form a defensive alliance against the larger superpower of Assyria. It seems like Ahaz doesn't want to join the defensive alliance of those three nations, and so Syria and Israel plan to take it over, take over Judah, and put in uh, their own king. And so chapter 7, verse 2 there, you see it. When the house of David, that is like the, the kingship in Jerusalem, was told Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake with the wind. Uh, this crisis that occurs is a big change from the previous 52 years of the reign of um, Uzziah, who is Ahaz's grandfather. That long, stable, very prosperous reign has vanished completely, it would seem, and is replaced with the threat of Syria and Israel on the doorstep. And Ahaz has to decide what to do. And so uh, he goes out and we're told Isaiah meets him at the upper pool, the end of the conduit of the upper pool. It seems like he's checking out water sources uh, for what could be a siege that's about to happen. Well, what does Isaiah do as he speaks into this crisis? You see there, verse 3. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out and meet Ahaz, and you and Sheed Joshub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field, and say to him, Be quiet, be careful. Uh, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smouldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria, and at the son of Remaliah. Because, Ephra because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah has devised evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah and terrify it, let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tabiel as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord your God, it shall not stand, it shall not come to pass, for the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be broken to pieces, there will no longer be a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. If you are not firm in your faith, you will not be firm at all. What is Isaiah's word from the Lord into this crisis? It's, what crisis? There's no crisis. These kings that you fear will come to nothing. So you need to stand firm in your faith. The Lord is the one who's in control of international affairs, foreign affairs and 
the plans and plots of foreign kingdoms. Put your trust in the Lord and his word through his prophet that what Israel and Syria are planning against you will not happen. And perhaps for the first time in Ahaz's young life, he's 20 years old when he takes the reign as king. Perhaps it's the first time he's had to trust the Lord. And he's clearly out of his depth. The Lord, don't look to it, Egypt. Don't look to Syria, Assyria to help. Trust the word of the Lord. Don't be afraid. Stand firm in your faith or you won't stand at all. There is no crisis when God is in control. To give um, shaky Ahaz confidence, the Lord asks, uh, says, ask for a sign to prove God's word. Uh, anything, ask anything you like, whether it's in the highest depth or the, uh, the highest heights or the lowest depth. And so, ask anything. It's a gracious offer from God which not many people are given. But it's anything you like. Pigs flying through the sky. Ask for that. Uh, well, maybe not pigs, given the Jewish. Uh, maybe <laughs> other animal. Cows flying through the sky. Uh, Barramundi jumping into your boat. Uh, you don't even have to catch them. They're just there. Ask the Lord anything. It's a gracious offer from the Lord. It's not the norm. Just in case you're wondering, this is not the norm of how God works. God doesn't promise to give signs. In fact, Ahaz, notice, doesn't even go looking for a sign. God initiates with him and says, ask for a sign. This is not the norm. In fact, Ahaz doesn't want a sign. So verse 12. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Ahaz responds in the words of Deuteronomy 6, 16, from the law itself. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. But in fact, by rejecting the sign, he's actually put the Lord to the test because the Lord is the one who said to him, ask for a sign. And his old attitude is, I don't need your help, God. I don't need your help. I've got this. You can imagine a young king, uh, a youngster, uh, a child is a sort of childlike sort of attitude, which I can do this, I can do this all by myself. And Isaiah, his reaction, well, it's something like a big sigh, isn't it? <laughs> Hear then, O house of David. And the house of David is referring to the line of the kingship from David. So Ahaz himself. Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? And just for you guys that have been studying this, there's a shift there from your God in the first couple of verses to now um, to my God. It's no longer Ahaz's God, it would seem. Is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Twice the Lord speaks to Ahaz, twice Ahaz doesn't listen. And the words of Isaiah 6 are right there, ringing loudly, aren't they? Keep on hearing, but don't actually hear. Keep on seeing, but not perceiving. Ahaz hears, but he just won't hear. He shows that he's standing under the judgment of God, as we see in chapter 6. 
Ahaz sees the crisis is all about the imminent Israel and Assyrian attack on Jerusalem. And understandably, because he's a young leader, he's worried about what will happen. Perhaps more experienced leaders in Jerusalem might be wondering, is this guy really up to it? Can he really handle international diplomacy? He needs to act decisively and with political astuteness. And perhaps for Ahaz, this holy man Isaiah, capturing him, if you like, a moment with him outside the city near the, near the highway, this holy man is just suggesting impractical Sunday school answers that just don't work in the real world. Trust God. It'll be okay. Isaiah tries twice to show Ahaz the political crisis is nothing but empty threats. But he refuses God's word. He refuses God's help in the form of a sign. And so God is going to give him a sign anyway. <laughs> Verse 14, the sign of Emmanuel. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin, the young woman, shall conceive and bear a son and, sh and shall call his name Emmanuel. He'll eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you tread will be deserted. Well, verse 14 introduces one of the most unexpected and puzzling verses in this whole chapter. And so I'm going to get you to think about it. Uh, what is the sign? And how is it a sign? Yeah, have a think about that. Um, and maybe chat with people around about you. You've never read any of Isaiah or the Bible before. This is good because no one else around you knows what's happening here either. So uh, there we go. What do you think? How is it a sign? Okay, how'd you go? Okay, so what's the sign? This is the easy one. What's the sign? Someone tell us. Over this side. The kid. The kid. 
Um, what kid? Uh, oh, very good. Who is that? A kid. A kid. It's spoken <laughs> like a true lawyer. <laughs> what, um, what does it mean? How, it, sorry, how is it a sign? How is that kid a sign? Anyone give any thoughts? Maybe the sign of God's power is the impossible. Yeah. Why? What's impossible about that? For a virgin to conceive, that's kind of possible. Um, yeah. It's, yes. You certainly, and we'll come to see that in a moment um, when this verse is quoted in the New Testament. Mm. Um, as it stands in the um, original, and you, it does say virgin in the passage, the word just means young woman. It could just mean, uh, like, young woman. <laughs> <laughs> in which case it's not miraculous at all, yeah. which makes it even more puzzling if that is the case. Mm. That the, How is that a sign? A young woman will give birth to a son. It'd be nice if it was just miraculous, and, and it, it still possibly could be, but it's just unsure. Mm. Anyone got any other thoughts? Uh, I think um, verse 18, or 16, it talks about before the boy knows to refuse good or evil, um, the two kingdoms will be destroyed. So I think the sign isn't the birth, but the growing up. The growing up of mm. kid. Okay, maybe. Have you been studying this? Perhaps so. <laughs> well, let's have a look. Uh, Ahaz doesn't want the sign. The Lord says he's going to give it to him anyway. And perhaps in keeping with Isaiah 6, I need to go back and read it if you, if you haven't, it's an enigmatic <coughs> sign. It's, a, it's not one that's completely obvious to Ahaz or to us as readers straight away how this is a sign. It's a bit puzzling. It's the sort of thing you need to ask more about, think more about. Uh, and it's not a sign that you're going to get straight away. A sign just points to something, something else. Uh, it's a, sign can, a sign can be positive, it can be a sign for you, a sign towards something that is, uh, that is good, but it might also serve to testify against you. And so we see that in Ahaz's situation, he's asked to ask for a sign for him, for his benefit, which he refuses. But now the Lord is going to give him a sign as a testimony against him for the future. Uh, but before we get into seeing how it functions here, uh, this verse is referred to in the New Testament, quite famously at the birth of Jesus, or anticipating the birth of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. But as he, Joseph, considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. Took his wife, but he knew her not until he had until she had given birth to a son. 
and he called his name Jesus. Well, Matthew says that Isaiah 7.14 is the further unfolding of the future of the true coming king. Jesus. That's what's being spoken about. Well, that may not help us a great deal, does it? But we know that's where it finds its fulfilment. However, for the word to be true in Isaiah's day, it has to be about something closer to home for Ahaz and Isaiah because we're told that, uh, as Jonah pointed out, <coughs> it's when the child is a few years old, able to choose between right and wrong, Israel and Syria will be eliminated. And we know from history that's got to happen before 722 BC. We can't wait for Jesus for that to happen. It's actually got to happen sooner. So who is this being spoken about in the first place? Uh, and, as we've already noted, that to make this sign even a bit more strange, it's just a, it can be just a young woman of marriageable age will have a baby. Uh, well, who's the child? Isaiah doesn't tell us. <laughs> but perhaps on purpose, straight away, the hiddenness of the sign further alienates Ahaz. He's taken the course of closing his ears to the Lord. Uh, the child who is a sign of God with us, Emmanuel, remains a mystery to Ahaz. In fact, it's quite probable that the child is Isaiah's own child who we hear of in chapter 8. You'll have studied this in your faculty groups, but we're not going to be, reading, we're not going to be studying it here. Uh, in the next chapter, the Lord said to me, Isaiah, take a large tablet and write up in, in common characters belonging to Mahalal Shalal Hashbaz. And I will get reliable witnesses, Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jeberechiah, to attest for me. And I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said to me, Call his name Mahalal Mahashalal Hashbaz. For before the boy knows how to cry, my father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. Uh, while Isaiah doesn't explicitly connect the two, this child is like the child of chapter 7. He's a signpost. He's a signpost reminding those who see him of the truth of God's word coming, coming true. Uh, as this boy grows up, and uh, you know, if Ahaz was to ever meet him along the way as he's growing up, we say, who's this? Well, this is the sign. This is the sign. This is the boy who has grown up. Remember him? He was the one who was promised to come. And he's a sign that you don't actually trust the Lord. As he grows up and before he's actually to the point of being able to say my mother or my father, the two kings, the two the kings of Syria and Israel are dealt with. He's a, he's a sign that continues to be a sign as he grows of God's word. And that's why it's testified to by the priest uh, and also um, the Uriah the priest and Zechariah as well because they're going to be witnesses to this. He's going to be a reminder of a, as a sign, a reminder of the failure to trust the Lord. 
Well, what do we learn from Ahaz? Uh, what do we learn from Ahaz and Jesus and for ourselves? Uh, Ahaz made two mistakes in the one decision. One was a political mistake and the other was a spiritual mistake in the one decision. 2 Chronicles 28 tells us that Ahaz, Ahaz solves his crisis by begging Assyria to save Jerusalem from Israel and Syria. And it's what Assyria was going to do anyway. But now Ahaz pays an exorbitant fee, a huge fee for the help of the superpower Assyria. He strips the temple of gold to pay for Assyria to attack Syria and Israel. And it doesn't help him. So 2 Chronicles 28, so Tiglath-Pileser, the king of Assyria, came against him, Ahaz, and afflicted him instead of strengthening him. He enlisted the world side, the, the big bully of the world, and he got bullied himself. The second mistake that he made in amongst it all was spiritual. He thought that the Lord was irrelevant to political decisions and military affairs. He'd relegated God to the margins. God belongs on Sundays, Saturdays in his case. Uh, he belongs in the temple, in worship. He, that's where God belongs. And Isaiah, his prophet, talks about worshipy type things, not about real life things like political crises and where grown-up decisions have to be made. But the king who Isaiah saw back in chapter six, chapter six, sorry, is the king whose glory filled the earth. He was the real king of all things. And when I say real king, I mean all of the nitty-gritty detail. His glory fills the earth. From the biggest and most complex intractable problems in the world through to our own minor crises of life. He's the king of every one of them. He can be trusted. In fact, he must be trusted if you will serve him. In Matthew, we encounter the man Joseph. Joseph, like Ahaz, was called a son of David in Matthew 1. Like Ahaz, he's fearful in the crisis. His fiancée is pregnant and not through him. The righteous thing, the right thing would be to break off the engagement quietly. But just like God's messenger Isaiah appeared to Ahaz in the presence of a crisis with a word from God, a word not to fear but to trust, so Joseph has a messenger appear with a message from God to don't fear but to trust. Unlike Ahaz... Joseph trusts the Lord and takes Mary to be his wife because this child is the true child, the fulfilment of Emmanuel of Isaiah 7. He is indeed God with us. More than just a sign that God is with us, he is the reality of God with us. He is the true king that God has enthroned as the king as our king. So trust him. Well, what can we do to 
understand this for ourselves? Well, God's word can be trusted. All the way from Isaiah 7 through to Matthew 1 through to our day, God has kept his promise of a son who will reign as a faithful king. Unlike Ahaz, unlike David, unlike any of the kings, a faithful king who rules the world. Such that there is no area of our life where trusting Jesus is impractical. There is no area of life where God is not sovereign and Jesus is not king of. There is no crisis that you can be in where the option to trust God is not relevant. The glory of the Lord fills the earth. So when you are doing your assignment at the end of, se- end of semester, the way you do them matters. The way that you do your own work rather than copying somebody else's friends or from a previous year or just downloading a whole assignment from the net, whatever it might be, actually matters. It's not a crisis which is irrelevant. It's not a personal crisis of just getting your assignment done. It's a crisis of trust. Are you going to trust God? When someone points out that you're 20 years old and you've never been out with anyone, in fact it's mostly you yourself that points it out to yourself, you've never been on a date, you've never had a boyfriend or a girlfriend, you've never... Am I doing this all wrong? Maybe I should pursue that relationship. Maybe I should pursue that person who is rather interested in me, that I'm actually quite interested in. It doesn't have to go anywhere. It's just... Even though I'm... I will stop it at some point, but they're quite there and available. It just doesn't seem practical to just keep saying no to those options. God's way of trusting the king, trusting your relationships to the king, and doing them the right way, is the right way, is to trust the Lord. To speed, or not speed, to arrive late, to face up the consequences, to say, I'm sorry, I should have left earlier, to say, I'm sorry, I've let you guys down, I know I needed to be here ten minutes ago, is much more grown up and responsible and trustworthy than to hit the accelerator and do the wrong thing. There is no crisis, no matter how menial, that God is not king of and concerned about. Trust God's word, trust his king. Or you trust in him. Uh, If you're not somebody who has ever put their trust in the Lord, then let me commend to you the Lord Jesus as your king, who is indeed trustworthy in all of life. Keep coming along here in these last couple of weeks of semester and hearing about the king who rules the world for our good (coughs) and for the good of all the earth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word to Ahaz, your promise and your sign to Ahaz, which you kept. Thank you, Lord, for the fulfilment of that sign in the Lord Jesus, that more than just a sign, he is the true king uh, who rules to this day. Pray that we might not be caught up in the crises of our life and be blinded from the fact that we need to trust you. But we pray that you might help us 
uh, to trust you, Lord, whatever crisis we may come across. And if we don't know Jesus as Lord, to be able to see him as and understand him to be the Lord who is indeed uh, faithful and for our good and to be able to put our trust in him. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to continue in prayer. Uh, I think um, Helen is going to be praying for us. Um, we're going to continue in prayer now. Um, prayer is just talking to God um, and depending on Him. Um, I'm Eleanor and I'm in my second year of social science. Um, so let us keep praying. Uh, Father in heaven, thank you uh, for the wonderful opportunity we have in being able to meet on campus and learn more about you. Uh, thank you that uh, we had a good talk today um, by Rob. Thank you so much that he's so trained um, in this field. Um, we thank you, Lord, that we can uh, trust in you in any, that, uh, that there really is no crisis and that we can always just trust in you. Um, and thank you, Lord, that we can do this in the safety of Australia. Um, Father, we uh, thank you that we are social beings who love forming relationships and bonds. Uh, we pray then for the social nights upcoming for both Claude's and Arts. Um, thank you for the people who put the effort into organising this night. And we pray that um, people from the faculties go um, and we pray that they are able to make connections and friendships with like-minded people and feel a sense of belonging at university and um, at Uni Bible Group. Uh, and we also pray... Uh, that the Bible was proclaimed faithfully, and that um, we thank you, Father, for the people trained to do this. Uh, we also pray for NTE. Thank you, Lord, for the uh, for an event that university students all over Australia can come to to learn how to read the Bible for themselves. Uh, we thank you for the leaders involved, and we also pray that many students from across Australia will come um, and be encouraged. And finally, Lord, we want to pray for our brothers and sisters. At Wagga University, who um, experienced a death in their fellowship group. Uh, Lord, death is, um, in any regard, a horrible and tragic thing, but we do know you are a God full of comfort and love. Um, during this time of grief, um, at their one-year anniversary mark, uh, we pray that you are able to comfort them and hold them close to you. In these last few weeks, um, also, Lord, help them to feel motivated and continue having gospel conversations with classmates. Uh, we thank you, God, for the love you uh, give to us so freely. Um, help us to always take comfort in that. Um, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.